0: out from the
1: rest of the text do not stand out and so the highlighted words or phrases become almost invisible or difficult to see and so you get sick because there are invisible impurities in your air and your water and and maybe you can't find an object that you lay down because it blends in with whatever you laid that object on top of or you drop it on the carpet and you can't find it or something and so we tend to not like things that are invisible or hidden Robert. you advanced me there and so that poses a bit of a problem for us and so the, as christians because what we serve an invisible god right and so if we tend to like things are visible and we can see how does that translate when we are serving and, and worshiping and following an invisible god and so the temptation is going to be for us to value visible tangible things more than invisible things and yet by his grace God produces in us a faith that trusts him, a faith that responds to him, a faith that can be seen in action, though he himself remains invisible. And so we're studying for Hebrews chapter 11, and this chapter is full of examples of this faith in action and even begins in the first verses set this direction for us. Now, faith is being sure of what we hope for, being convinced of what we do not see. For by it, the people of old received God's Commendation. And so these ancients had this faith and this faith accomplished great things in their life for eternity. And so there was there was nothing superhuman. We talked about this at the beginning. There's nothing superhuman about these or extraordinary about them as human beings, other than they were in the path of a God who was moving through humanity, moving among humanity towards his eternal plan of salvation and his kingdom of heaven. That he has in store for us. And so God uses ordinary people in extraordinary circumstances to demonstrate his grace and mercy towards humanity and to develop this God pleasing faith in each of us. And so Hebrews 11 and verse six says, now without faith, it is impossible to please him for the one who approaches God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. And so it's. This faith that causes us to stand out in contrast to the culture around us. It's the faith that, that, that brings out the color in our lives so that we can be seen in a very bland and dark world around us. And so there's a bit of a kind of a, a well, well, duh here in this verse six, because you've got to what you've got to believe that he exists. And that He rewards those who search Him out. Well, of course, it's like Christianity 101. Of course, you've got to believe. And yet, sometimes we're more comfortable in a place of skepticism, and a place of cynicism, than we are in a place of faith. And so this verse lays out some simple requirements, but it also puts us across this line where we admit we have questions. Faith doesn't eliminate questions. Faith makes us comfortable with our questions. And so we're always going to have questions until we see the Lord face to face and our faith becomes sight. But we're past the point of, of questioning, is there a God? And does He reward those who diligently seek Him? But don't feel foolish if you're still in that place of skepticism. Because I believe in Scripture, we see how God is kind and He leads us to the, along that place where, where we may find ourselves. And so there comes a time when you and I have to decide... Am I going to step across that line or not? Am I all in or not? And, and are we going to get past that? Uh, well, what is truth and how can I know what it is to the point of, no, I can't see him. He's never spoken to me audibly. I haven't had miraculous visions, but I still believe that God exists and rewards those who earnestly search for him. Are we going to get to that place? And so last week, we considered the faith of Moses' parents, and now we're looking at Moses' faith here in Hebrews chapter 11, beginning in verse 24. By faith, when he grew up, Moses refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Remember, Moses was placed because of the the, the Pharaoh's edict to murder all the baby boys. Pharaoh, Moses' mother put him in a basket, put him in the Nile, and he was picked up by none other than Pharaoh's daughter. And so raised in Pharaoh's household. And so by faith, when he grew up, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be ill-treated with the people of God, than to enjoy sin's fleeting pleasure. And so he regarded abuse suffered for Christ to be greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for his eyes were fixed on the reward. And by faith, he left Egypt without fearing the king's anger, for he persevered as though he could see the one who is invisible. By faith, he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood, so that the one who destroyed the firstborn would not touch them. And so Moses' parents had this faith and that faith led them to a place where they could see something in their child, something that God had in store for this child. And so Moses, God had a, a specific and unique purpose for this child. And, and so faith led them past the place of fearing the government's decree of, of, of murdering all these baby boys and instead led them to, to hide Moses And ultimately, in this miraculous turn of events, Moses' mother was chosen by Pharaoh's daughter to nurse Moses until he was about two to four years old. And so Moses' identity was parented into him in a very short amount of time to the point that when he was 40, despite his place of privilege, he chose to be known not as Pharaoh's grandson, but instead as a Hebrew. As part of this people, God's people. And so Moses' parent taught him who he really was. And he carried that into adulthood. Do you know who you are? (laughs) Some of y'all wake up every morning trying to figure out where you are and who you are. But spiritually, do you know who you are? Who are you? Many sit on the fence in terms of Christ. And many will call themselves Christian and in most cases don't act like followers of Christ. And perhaps proclaim it more boldly in some places other than, rather than other places. So who are you? Who are you? Think about the different places that your feet take you during the week. Who are you there? Who are you at work? Who are you at school? Who are you at, at, at spin class? <laughs> who, who are you at the gym? Who are you at the grocery store? Who are you in the car? Now I went to meddling. I've gotten on my own self here. So think of who are you, though? Who are you? What does it look like when mature faith is at the center of our life and our identity? What does that look like? How do we persevere today in that sort of faith? Well, listen again here. Verse 24, by faith, when Moses grew up, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be ill treated with the people of God than to enjoy sin's fleeting pleasure. He regarded abuse suffered for Christ to be greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for his eyes were fixed on the reward. And by faith, he left Egypt without fearing the king's anger, for he persevered as though he could see the one who is invisible. By faith, he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood so that the one who destroyed the firstborn would not touch them. And so many Christians will straddle this commitment fence. you got one foot in the kingdom of God and one foot in the kingdom of the world. And that's an uncomfortable place to be, especially if you're sitting on a high fence. And so you've got your one person in one place and your one person in a different place. But Moses carefully and maturely considered and decided who he wanted to be. And then he went all in. There was no turning back for Moses. And you're like, well, yeah, he was 40 It took him 40 years to figure this out. But look, the fact that it took him until 40 doesn't make it less of a decision, does it? Doesn't it even make it more of a decision? Because this didn't happen in the late night passion of youth. That's not where this decision was made. He knew what he was giving up and he gained a picture then of what was yet to come, what he was getting in return. What did Paul write in Romans chapter 12 and verse 2? He said, don't be conformed to this present world, but be transformed by what? The renewing of your mind, thinking differently so that you may test and approve what is the will of God, what is good and well-pleasing and perfect. So Moses didn't have all the answers. God had not revealed this entire story to him, right? But what do we see? He persevered as though he could see The one who was invisible. So when you commit to Jesus, the next great question for us is, am I going to blend in or am I going to stand out? And standing out takes courage. And that courage is not based on our own strength. And I am grateful for that. It's based on the strength of the one in whom we have placed our faith. And so Moses had placed his faith in the God of creation. And that faith caused him to stand out. And sometimes figuring out who you are starts with knowing who you are not. Sometimes in order to figure out who you are, you've got to realize who you are not. By faith, it says, when he grew up, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. I'm sure some people were trying to, to call him that and, and, and categorize him there and put him in a box. But it says Moses refused to go along with that. This place of privilege, this wealth. There was no better place to be in the kingdom of the world at this time. He was the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He had it all. He had everything. Moses had the kingdom in his future. He was offered all the resources of the king of Egypt. And instead, he chose the king of kings. And can we imagine how difficult this choice would have been? You said, yeah, but God brought all those plagues and parked that sea and led them safely, you know, through the through the desert and delivered them to the promised land. Yeah, he did. But you, are you talking about the God who did all the things that Moses doesn't know about yet? <laughs> is that the God we're talking about? Yeah, it is. See, so you don't need faith when you're living by hindsight. You don't need faith when you're living by hindsight. And so Moses put his faith in a God whose promises had yet to have been tested by Moses. He trusted God with his eyes to the future. And so Moses heard of the promise to Abraham. He knew of Joseph's rise to prominence. And Moses also knew that he was nearly a victim of genocide when he was just a baby. And that his people had been brought up as slaves in this kingdom since before he was born. And and that's all he knew because that's all he experienced. Faith called him to see what he could not yet see. And to know what he had not yet been taught. And so choosing rather to be ill-treated with the people of God than to enjoy sin's fleeting pleasure. He would have been given the entire world if he had remained loyal. Look at Luke chapter 4 and verse 5 here. Then the devil led him up to a high place and showed him in a flash all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, To you I will grant this whole realm and the glory that goes along with it. For it has been relinquished to me and I can give it to anyone I wish. In verse seven. So then, if you will worship me, all this will be yours. Jesus answered him, it is written, you are to worship the Lord your God and serve only him. And so the Ten Commandments were handed down before they were written down. Moses chose God by faith. And Jesus calls each one of us into this tension of living by faith. And in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 19, Jesus says, Do not accumulate for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but accumulate for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Moses refused to be known as an Egyptian royal and instead to be identified with the oppressed people of God. Moses knew who he was not. And he was willing to suffer for who he was. He chose to be mistreated. He chose, Scripture says. This was a choice. What do we usually say? Well, they're a glutton for punishment, right? A glutton for punishment. Moses taped his own kick me sign on his back. He chose this. And do you feel at times that the weight of society against the people of God. Do you feel at times the weight of those around you against choices that you make to follow the will of God? Do you feel at times like I'm not sure if, if I want people to know I go to church? You feel at times you've been in situations where you feel like that? You can be honest. Feel that I put all my eggs in one basket of this trusting Jesus for his forgiveness, for his hope? You ever feel like that? Are people going to treat me different if I live with inside-out faith? If they realize who who I want to be on the inside? Do you ever think things when people are talking that would be helpful to share Christ with them, but you choose to stay silent? Christ is the head of His body. and His body is the church. And the church is the way Jesus does stuff in this world. And the way we identify with Jesus is by identifying... With the people of God, so I'm not the son of Pharaoh's daughter. I'm one of God's people. I choose to be mistreated along with God's people for what I believe. 11:25. He chose rather to be ill-treated with the people of God than to enjoy sin's fleeting pleasure. And the life that Moses was called to was both harder and better than the alternative lifestyle. And he chose it. He chose it. And there was a temptation. It was easy for him in this place of privilege, this place of wealth, this place of of great power that he lived in. But instead of enjoying the pleasures of sin, you shall have no other gods before me. He wasn't going to choose the God of Pharaoh. He chose the God of creation. Instead of enjoying the pleasures of sin, he chose to be mistreated as the people of God. I had a lot of conversations lately with the kids about Uh, food, explaining to them about what food is good for you and and what food is probably not good for you and why. And some really thoughtful questions come up. And it's obvious the taste of junk food is far sweeter than the taste of natural food, right? It's certainly cheaper, but that sweet taste, what about it's short-lived? You can't just eat one cookie. (laughs) you got to eat two. I dare you to eat one Dorito you got to have half the bag. So it may be sweeter, but it's short-lived and your body craves more and more of something that can never satisfy it. And you're left with this sugary pain in your tummy. (laughs) And in fact, it it begins to crave, your body begins to crave what can actually make you sick. It's harder to eat natural because it takes intentional decisions and it takes commitment. It's both harder and better, Right? And so sin always gives more pleasure in the short term, but it does not last. It always, always demands more. And the world offers pleasure. You can be entertained. You can have the time of your life, but it only lasts for a short while and it leaves you scrounging for more, trying to get more. Righteousness brings suffering. But it too, only for a season. Suffering only for a season. And then it leads to a place of eternal pleasure. It's got an opposite effect of sin, And so the sign of spiritual maturity is delaying gratification. The sign of spiritual maturity is saying no. You want to be a spiritual adult? We say no to things. Having faith that what is yet to come is better than what's available now. So Apostle Paul put it this way in 2 Corinthians 4 in verse 16. He says, therefore, we don't despair. But even if our physical body is wearing away, our inner person is being renewed day by day, for our momentary light suffering is producing for us an eternal weight of glory, far beyond all comparison, because we're not looking at what can be seen, but what what cannot be seen. For what can be seen is temporary, but what cannot be seen is eternal. So Moses weighed the consequences of, of sinning against God with that suffering for obedience. And one of those broke the scales. One of those broke the scales. And so he recognized that suffering was, in fact, more valuable. More valuable. And so he regarded abuse. Suffered for Christ to be greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt. For his eyes were fixed on the reward. And that is powerful. Because I have no regard for being slammed about anything. Any choice I make. any, any My clothes I wear. You know, where I grew up. You know, me and David Holley don't appreciate being slammed for growing up in Levy. We don't like certain stuff. Who wants to be criticized? And the word here is abused. That's a strong word. But what does it say? Moses regarded abuse suffered for what? For what he wore? For how he talked? How he was raised? His political affiliation? No. He regarded abuse suffered for Christ. It's for Christ. And Moses decided the worst thing that could come... By choosing the kingdom of God was more valuable than the best thing that he could obtain by choosing the way of the world. The worst the world could do to him for choosing God was better than the best the world could offer him for rejecting God. And so the least our faith has to offer is better than the most that the world has to offer. And faith is a marathon. It's not a sprint. Moses' finish line was not the land of Midian where he ran to And hid from Pharaoh and from which he was called some 40 years later as he led the the Israelites out of Egypt. It'd be another 40 years of faithfulness in the face of rejection and attempted hostile takeovers from his own people. Miserable conditions before his race was finished. But by faith, he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood so that the one who destroyed the firstborn would not touch them. God called Moses to something lasting in his calling. Now think about the pyramids of Egypt. I think about the, the scenery there where Moses grew up. And these great monuments. No doubt growing up in the, in, the, in the house of Pharaoh as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Certainly at some point, if they weren't just mental, there were going to be some plans for Moses' pyramid eventually. That's where royalty went. He had a pyramid on the horizon. And you think about, you know, all the embalming and all the gathering up of of treasures to hang on to that they fill these pyramids with with so you can have in the afterlife. And a couple thousand years later, Moses, who had this remarkable exodus out of Egypt, appears beyond the grave with Elijah, who also had a pretty remarkable exodus from the world. They appear and they speak with Jesus. About His impending exodus. And so who's enjoying life now? Who appeared on the mountain? It wasn't Pharaoh. It wasn't a mummy. It was Moses. So who's enjoying life now? Moses or the mummies of Egypt? Moses made the right choice. And instead of being enshrined in his own pyramid as a son of Pharaoh's daughter with his sarcophagus on unearthed and on display as some unnamed, unremarkable royal corpse, he instead chose to be a royal priest in the kingdom of God, a city of heaven, eternal in the heavens. And so faith in Jesus causes us to stand out in the world in contrast to the world. But the question is, do we blend in or do we stand out? Do we stand out for the right reasons? It's holy reasons, God honoring reasons that that and that takes perseverance. Moses persevered and he was rewarded for his endurance. And so will we be. And yeah, but that was Moses. It was Moses, right? Moses. It was Moses. And I'm not Moses, right? We read earlier how Peter wrote that through Jesus, we, those of us who are in Christ, we've escaped the corruption of this world, the destruction of this world that's caused by those evil desires, those evil cravings that we have because God has given us everything that we need for a godly life. We read in verse 5, 2 Peter One, for this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness, knowledge, to knowledge, self-control, to self-control, perseverance and to perseverance, godliness and to godliness, mutual affection to mutual affection, love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, that's increasing, that's moving. Remember, faith moves us. We're maturing in faith. If you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. But whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they've been cleansed from their past sins. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. And you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And this does not happen by waking up in the morning and saying, I'm going to try super hard today. I'm going to ditch all my friends today. I'm going to get me some new ones. That's not how this happens. <laughs> so first, what do we do? You have to want. You have to choose. Want to live this life. It's a choice. And God gives us that choice. He gives us that initial spark of faith. But we got to fan it into flame. Hebrews says Moses persevered because he saw him who is invisible. And so what is faith? Faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. And So Moses saw him who is invisible through the eyes of faith. And he was able to do this because he was looking ahead to his reward. Because without faith, it is impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Moses wasn't looking for a difficult life. He was looking for God's reward. Well done, good and faithful servant. That's what Moses was looking for. So Moses took his eyes off his own scary circumstances, right? And he set his eyes on the Lord and on the reward. And what Satan does is Satan tries to divert our eyes. He divert our attention at every opportunity because if he can get our focus off of Jesus and onto the winds and the waves of the the life around us, then we will sink into the despair of sin. Either our own sin or the overwhelming presence of the sin of those around us. That's what will happen to us. So how do we stay focused on the prize? How do we keep our focus? We worship. We worship because worship does what? It draws our attention to God. That's what we talked about this morning in Bible class. So sometimes our attention isn't drawn to God because we look back at the booth and we say, why aren't the words up there? <laughs> why isn't that slide changing? Or we look around and we say, why don't they take them out? Or why aren't they singing? So our, our attention is diverted away from God. Or we look into our week and we sit here and we say, I don't feel like being here right now because I've got a lot to do. I've got some heavy stuff coming up. And assembling together as a way to direct our eyes to God is becoming an increasingly undervalued Christian way of life and it's not the number of pe- it's not the number of people going down it's the frequency in which the people who say i go to church actually come together with the church that's what's going down will you be here tonight will you be here wednesday night do you attend meals with the church, potlucks or, or other faith-building gatherings that come up from time to time. I have diet restrictions. And bring what you need. Brethren, it's, it's not about the food. It's never about the food. It's about the people. It's about encouraging one another to keep our eyes on the reward. And it's a way our elders have decided that we can do it. And one chapter back, the the, the author tells us that in light of this foundation of faith and and this eternal reward that's promised to those of us in Christ Jesus, in in chapter 10 and verse 24, he says, so thinking about this, let us take thought of how to spur one another on, encourage one another on, move one another on to love and good works. Not abandoning our own meetings, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging each other, and even more so, because you see the day drawing near. He doesn't say do this because you have to check a box. We left the, the temple requirements in the Old Testament. He says the reason we ought to do that is because, of, because we're people of faith. We are faith builders. And one way we build faith in one another is by encouraging, spurring one another on to love and to good works. And even more so because our eyes are set on the future on the day that is drawing near. The church is not a compartment in life. For the believer in Christ Jesus, the church is the evidence of things not yet seen. It's a glimpse of what is to come. It's the physical depiction of the spiritual body of Jesus. So this morning, you look to your left and you look to your right because we are the church. This is the church. And Satan can divert your eyes away from the church and divert your attention away from the church. And life becomes a burden that we wonder how we can ever hope to bear when that happens. And the colors of life that are supposed to be bright and vibrant become dull and they become dark. And you will find your life increasingly blending into the colors of the world around you. And you begin to value what you can see more than what you cannot see. And Satan wins. First he wins the day. And day by day, He wins your heart. This morning, who has your heart? Where is your heart? Is your heart right with God? Are you washed in the crimson flood? Cleansed and made holy, humble and lowly. Right in the sight of God. If not, why not? Who are you following? You cannot serve God and serve the way of the world. And God calls you through Jesus Christ to serve Him because there is a prize on the horizon. And by faith, we are marching to Zion. And we encourage one another when we're together to keep moving forward step by step, day by day. And we do that. Because of our faith in Jesus Christ. Do you believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God and that He died for the forgiveness of your sins, was raised again on the third day to become the the, the sacrificial lamb that paid the price that you and I should be paying for how we mistreat God in this world He has so graciously given us? Do you believe that? then be baptized into Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And if you have stepped away from Christ, if now if, 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 if your color copier is spitting out nothing but blurry black ink, then God calls you to repent. Repent of how you have let the world absorb you into its way. And come back to the way of Jesus. This morning as we are gathered together as the body of Christ, the church of Jesus Christ, we want to pray with you and for you and lift you up as you give your life back to God. If we can help you in any way this morning while we sing, will you come?